Welcome to Holy Shit. How are you guys doing? Good. <laughs> good. Thanks Pretty good. So, thanks so much for being here. Uh, I'm Dan Taylor. I'm your host for this show. This is our fourth show. So thanks, everybody, for sticking in. Um, we are here with two people that I am very excited to have as part of this show. Um, first up, uh, from uh, the King's University here in Edmonton, we have Dr. Mark Sandel. Everybody, round of applause. <laughs> Excelsior. Um, so thank you for being here, Mark. We also have, uh, full disclosure, my good friend and fellow comedian and my former co-host of 2015 Edmonton's most popular podcast, <laughs> The 30-Minute Week. <laughs> Please put your hands together for Ben Prue. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So uh, I want to thank you guys for being here. So basically, Holy Shit is an adult Bible study where I tell a Bible story and with some smart friends, we talk about it and we figure out what we should do with this in accordance with the lives that we live. So um, uh, I'll start with Ben because I know you a little bit. Uh, ben, you uh, have heard Bible stories before. Um, yeah. Yeah. So... What, what did you grow up with these? You're 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 Jewish, but did you grow up with these in the in the the ether of living? Yes. Yeah, so I'm Jewish because my mom's Jewish, and so right. I'm really only half Jewish. But by the Jewish tradition, if you come from a Jewish womb, you're full blown Jew. Right. And so I was raised with the Jewish side, and then my dad is French Canadian, which is super Catholic. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I grew up going to Catholic church. Cool. And heard all these stories. So, so you got you got the whole mishmash just like squeezed together. Yeah. That, that that was that helpful, or did it make it more terrifying and confusing? I mean, I'm an atheist now. I don't know if that <laughs> answers your question. <laughs> was that the intended outcome of your religious upbringing? <laughs> there absolutely wasn't. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting the sheer number of Jews who are atheists. Like, I think more, like, you wouldn't, like, it's very rare that you would, like, Christianity doesn't seem to exist as an ethnicity in the same way where mm -hmm. someone would say, like, well, I'm an atheist Christian. And it's just like, that doesn't, so what are you, an American? Like, well, that, you know, where, um, where the, the, the idea of, like, being ethnically Jewish and practicing Judaism whilst like really not believing in the divinity of it i think is is like a, a really interesting thing that people can participate in yeah i still don't understand how to differentiate when i'm telling people i'm jewish right because non-hebrews can still be jewish by religion as well right and so i'm jewish by descent nothing by religion <laughs> And you also have a brand new baby. Yeah. A month old Harrison. Happy, happy month day. Harrison. Sure. Yeah, we can talk about that. Um, the, so I guess ethnically, because your wife is not Jewish, I believe. Or, he does not count as a Jew. Right. So. Yeah. Can we, can I get right? Ben and I are really good friends, so I can get this personal with him. So circumcision, yay or nay? Nay. Oh, really? Interesting. For a few reasons. Okay. Because I'm super circumcised. Uh, <laughs> they took off way too much. But 
right now because of COVID, they're not doing elective surgeries and circumcision is an elective surgery. And so you're supposed to get it done within the kid's first two weeks. Right. And we couldn't do that even if we wanted to. Right. And so that just sort of pushed our choice. We were debating. Right. And then we were like, we don't want him getting circumcised when he's three and a half years old. Yeah. So he's just not getting circumcised. I, I, we have, I have multiple members of my family that had to get it done as adults. No. Like, for varieties of reasons, like at 18, one at like 65, you know? So we just, we just did it and got it over with. You know. We didn't have that option. <laughs> <laughs> Coronavirus took away our circumcision. We found the lone uh, Jewish pediatrician in Edmonton, and we were like, <laughs> we shook him down. You know. <laughs> so, um, Mark, you, uh, yeah. um, uh, Mark is here with us. Uh, he's a an, an historian by trade, but like. You grew up in the UK. Did um, did you grow up with these kinds of stories? Did you grow up with any kind of religious background or hearing these? Or um, no, not for the first twenty or so years of my life. Okay. Uh, I had an in, entirely church-free, religion-free upbringing. I have got, I've got sort of, I'm a bit like Harrison. I've got German-Jewish uh, kind of heritage on my father's side, right. um, but but not through uh, my mum. Uh, but no, I, I had no engagement with the Bible, Bible stories, Christianity really? until I went to university. Yeah. Interesting. So what part of the UK did you grow up in, if you don't mind me asking? I was a bit of a nomad. So I started in the south in a little town called Winchester, okay. uh, which, which apparently has the highest number of heads, uh, highest number of pubs per capita of the population in England. So, uh, in England, that's a bar. Like, you got... yeah. yeah, they're like on every street corner, a bit like pubs, a bit like churches in the US. Um, then I moved right up to the north, to the border with Scotland. Okay. Um, lived right by Hadrian's Wall up there. I lived there for a couple of years, moved a bit further south into a place called the Lake District, which is like a mini kind of Rockies. It's right. got small lakes and smaller mountains. And then I moved to uh, one of the worst cities in England called Coventry. Oh. Um, uh, and uh, that was bombed out during the war. Right. Led, to a, led to a verb to be Coventrified, was to be like kind of blitzed by the Germans. Wow. Uh, and I went to university and I kind of stayed there, got married and lived there until I came to Canada in 2009. Okay. So I find the UK kind of fascinating because there is a state church technically in the yeah. UK. And... I listen to a lot of uh, British comedy, so, and it seems that the the people there have at least a better, a more, are more familiar with at least the the terminology of the Christian Church than than they are in in North America. Is that fair, or am I just like getting the right London crowds who have attended the poshest schools? Uh, I think that's probably changed in the last thirty years or okay. so. I think there was a there was a general sense amongst the wider population of that kind of Christian heritage mm -hmm. up to the sort of sixties and seventies. I think that's changed. I think that's uh, diminished. There's been a lot of the kind of erosion of denominational identities, mm -hmm. um, and also um, a kind of growing secularization too. And right. I think that's that's created a a greater degree of, of sort of absence of literacy around those stories. 
Yeah. Uh, they're definitely not as well known from my generation below. Yeah, well, it's interesting to me. Yeah, and, and I think that that echoes something that I've heard just like as I tell these stories, you know, whether it be on comedy stages or wherever, even on this podcast, there's so many people that are like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. You know, and even some of them are so like fairy, like boulderized or, or, or child, like uh, made family safe in churches that even church people are like wait a minute that was in there and it's like yeah it's maybe you should try like reading the text <laughs> actually read it <laughs> wonder of wonders so um cool and we're going to talk about abraham and isaac today and i mean obviously i'm putting ben on the spot because and it's fun to put him in an awkward position because he has uh, a young child that he has not yet uh, perhaps dealt with the decision about whether or not he wants to sacrifice it or not. And, um, but you also have children yourself that are, that are a lot, you have not sacrificed, I'm assuming. Uh, not uh, in my imagination uh, many times, but <laughs> in reality, no. They'll have a 29 year old son, a 26 year old daughter and a 17 year old son. Do they all live in Canada or do, do any of them still live in the UK? So when we moved out in 2009, my eldest son was 18 and he stayed there to study at university. Mm -hmm. um, we brought my youngest son who was seven with me and we brought my daughter <laughs> kicking and screaming when she was 16. Oh, wow. uh, we, we bribed her with some very expensive hair straighteners uh, and that seemed, to, that seemed to just grease the wheels enough to get her over the Atlantic. Um, so, but um, my son was at Leeds University in the north of England, and they did an exchange year with U of A, okay. which is really cool. So, for in his third year at Leeds, he spent it uh, with us here in Canada. Okay. Uh, and while he was here, he met a girl, and they got married in 2014. Oh, so wow. he's, he's now at the U of A in the PhD program there. Uh, my daughter got married to another King's grad uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, my son's starting Kings in the fall. So. Oh, wow. So every, the, the, the clan is staying close. We're keeping the Kings afloat. So, uh. <laughs> so uh, quick question that I just uh, um, uh, like to ask anyone from the UK that I can ask. Like, what's your, mm -hmm. what's your football club? Arsenal. Arsenal. Okay, cool. So wh why? You didn't, like, it doesn't sound like geographically you were anywhere near there. Yeah, it was my dad. My dad's a Londoner, so oh, he was okay. born and raised in London, and he was evacuated to kind of the Winchester area during the war. Okay. Uh, but I, I got it from him, and my youngest son is an Arsenal fan, uh, but my eldest, eldest son is kind of, well, he's been written out of the will. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I won't say anything more, but he's not. not Tottenham. He's, it's not Spurs, is no, it? No, it's, it's, no, it's not that bad. He's still alive, but um, no, he supports Newcastle, so... Well, that's that. That's a harder place to be than even an Arsenal. Oh, right well, I, I've told him numerous times. He was about five when he made the decision. I said, "Look, you're going to set yourself up for a lifetime of misery and disappointment. Do you really want to do this?" And he said, "Yes." So I said, "Okay," and he's lived with the consequences ever since. Well, it's interesting because, like, I I think often in North America, sports is beginning to act as the new religion, like the thing that we pass yeah. down to our children in a lot of ways. I think that. Ben, like, how many articles of Minnesota Vikings paraphernalia does Harrison own at this point in time? So far, zero. What? A lot down the... Yeah, do you know how expensive baby stuff is that he's going to grow out of in two days? 
we always just put our kids in like adult things because they fit them right away. Well, I will get him stuff when he grows a little bit more. For now, he can wear one of my 20-some Vikings jerseys. Well, you do plan to raise him as a Vikings fan knowing that the Vikings are pretty terrible and have been consistently disappointing. For yeah, because you're such an athlete, Daniel. <laughs> against the Vikings. It's just like one of the most tortured franchises. Like, yeah, it really was a bad choice on my part when I was a child. Yeah, I was like, with that decision. Did but, your dad I, mourn you like Mark did? Like, No, my dad doesn't watch football. No. So I had no guidance and then I chose the Vikings. So <laughs> this is a little bit on him. Yeah, this is this is like just like his atheism. It's just kind of like left feral in the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, it's another parental fail. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm gonna start. Uh, we'll start story time. So if you guys want to strap in, we are gonna talk about gonna talk about the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now, um, there's a couple of things that you. Hey, Dave Ray. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of things that you need to know about Abraham before we even get to this story. So uh, Abraham is incredibly, there's an incredibly important series of stories about Abraham. First of all, um, what we know about Abraham is that he came from the land of Uz. And the land of Uz was way, way far from where he ended up dying. And, and what's interesting about Abram is that his father, Terah, had been told by God to leave Uz and go to Canaan, which is present-day Israel-Palestine. And uh, and what happened was Terah made it to Haran, which is like about an eighth of the way to uh, Canaan. And the, the, the text says that he, he settled there and he stayed there and he died there. So there was this weird break that happened with Terah. But then what, what the story goes is that, is that God came to Abram and said, get up, leave the land that I, uh, leave your father's household and everything that you know, and go to the land I will show you and I will make you great. And Abram did. And, and through the course of that decision of, of leaving his own households, going to this other place, God made him a bunch of promises. And, and one of the promises is that he would be I will, I will make you great. You will be great. You'll be wealthy. You'll be, you, you, you will have, but most prominently, uh, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And I will give you children as many as the sands in the, uh, the sands in the desert and, and the stars in the sky. So he's, and then all nations will be blessed through you. So he's making, so God makes these massive promises to Abram. And, and there's a whole series of things that happens in Abram's life where he goes, a bunch of stuff happens to him. God changes his name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of many. Um, but the one thing that doesn't happen to Abraham, Abraham is he doesn't have any children. And he gets older. And he gets older. And his wife, Sarah, also gets older and older. And one of the things that we need to remember about the ancient world is that people knew where babies come from. <laughs> One of the strangest things about about sometimes talking to people about biblical times or or the ancient world is is they they act like well we know now how where babies come from but back then they didn't know they knew they like they they under they might not have understood the exact science but they knew where babies came from but 
and they understood that that as people got older and older and older and older and older the the idea of them having children as numerous as the sands and the desert and the stars in the sky becomes more and more and more and more remote and then finally there's a, another story so abraham has a, a first son ishmael um and another complicated story depending on who you ask but then he finally has this son isaac and 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 isaac is sarah's son sarah in her old age well beyond childbearing years the story goes gives birth to a son and she names him isaac and isaac means laughter then and she says that she named him laughter because she says uh, whenever anyone whenever anyone hears that 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 i have born a son they're gonna laugh at how ridiculous this is that, that like they're, they're gonna be like how ridiculous it is that that this baby was born to me in my old age so isaac is born and and he survives and lives which wasn't a given at the time and 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 the bible says and and things go on so bible uh says the story goes that sometime later Gaul, god called to abraham to test him and he says and god says a abraham and abraham says here i am and 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 uh, god says so you know your son, your only son, the son you love, Isaac? Uh, I want you to take him and sacrifice him uh, on Mount Moriah at a place that I will show you. Now, already there's some interesting parts about this story because um, Abraham had at least two sons at this point. Um, but God, the, what the text tells us that the story specifically says, take your son, your only son, who you love, and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah in a place that I will show you. So uh, Abraham wakes up, takes two servants and a donkey and Isaac, loads them up and says, we're going to go to Mount Moriah to worship. And at a certain point, a uh, little bit of a distance from Mount Moriah, they get there. Uh, Abram, Abraham turns to his two servants and says, hey guys, you wait here with the donkey. Isaac and I are going to go worship and then we're going to come back to you. So he takes Isaac and he loads him up with the firewood. So he's old enough to carry firewood a good long distance without having it being justified and complaining. You know, like if you give a child a burden to carry, no matter how old they are, they're going to complain. Like if you, if you, <laughs> you give a, my 12 year old a backpack and say, carry it to school. He's like, Bleh! This is so, but anyway, so he's at least that age by this point in time. Um, and they set off to go to the mountain. Um, and this is when we're going to take a break because the story is about to get serious and I want to do something a little bit fun and talk about dad sayings. So, um, yeah, I had uh, a bunch of sayings that my dad said that I was determined I was never going to say as an adult, um, mostly dealing with dental hygiene. Um, my, my dad actually said, and I, he must have gotten this from somewhere. Um, he actually said to me, be true to your teeth or they will be false to you. Um, that was my dad's level of humor. Uh, and I was bound and determined that I was never going to say that as an adult. Um, but strangely, when I was having to arm wrestle my children into brushing their own teeth because 
we all know that brushing your teeth to a child is the most horrendous experience that you could possibly have. I found myself saying, uh, be true to your teeth or they will be false to you. Do, do you guys have any dad sayings either that you you remember and, and Mark found yourself saying or, or Ben have vowed that you would never say? Is there anything that comes to mind? I think, um, and I've got no idea where this came from and I've got, it makes absolutely no sense at all. But um, you know, when whenever you ask your parents something and they would just brush you off with a ridiculous answer because they don't want to engage with you. Yeah. Well, when, when I wanted to know why my dad, you know, did something or said something, he always said, because of the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. So any, any, any question can be answered. Why? Oh, because of the wedding. <laughs> and uh, that has got me out of a number of sticky situations uh, in, my, <laughs> in my own parenthood. And it kind of shuts things down because, you know, there's a, up, up to a certain age, there's a kind of yeah. accept, acceptance that the wedding is sacrosanct, cannot be questioned, and so anything can be justified because of the wedding. That's probably my favourite one. Do you remember a specific age when your kids were like, when you th when they started to cognitively realize that there was no actual wedding, or maybe there is? I'm sorry, I don't want to like. Hope they're not listening. Um, I think it was when when they got to about six or seven, they heard my dad saying it when we used to go down there for vacations, oh, and wow. suddenly they could they made the connection that this is okay. There's some. Underhand things going on here. We're dealing with multi generations. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Ben? Anything that comes to mind? Nah, my dad didn't do sayings like that. He just had the same answers to the questions over and over. Oh, and really? So any question he didn't want to answer, the response was la malde, which is French for poop. Uh, <laughs> in a not so nice word until so any time we ask what on the show at. it's in the title oh, okay. uh, i don't know it's a religious thing do yeah. catholics swear um, yeah. you can you can say whatever you word you want on this show and your dad obviously swore okay, swore a lot so anytime i asked like what was for dinner the answer was just always shit um, or anything like that and anytime i did something he didn't like he would say je vais fourrer and claque which just means I'm about to hit you. And that was my cue to stop. <laughs> As, uh, your dad still lives in the area, right? Is yeah. That, so I, 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 I've had a, and maybe Mark, you've had this experience as well. I've had a different experience watching my parents as grandparents than, mm -hmm. uh, than as uh, like, like the pe the people the the old people that my children know are not my parents, right? Like they they are, but they're not. You know. So have you started to see that yet? Well, like because it was a big disconnect for me. My son is grandchild number eight for my parents. Oh, okay. Because uh, three of my other siblings already have kids, and yeah, he's not. He's softened out like crazy. Yeah. He's a hard ass when I was growing up. And now he's he's not even a little bit. Uh, yeah. they, they don't know the man that raised us. <laughs> Mark, did you find that as well, or? Yeah, I mean, a, a very almost uh, identical 
experience to Ben, but for very different reasons. Like, I was a social worker in child protection, so he was often caught out in the middle of the night to go to this and that and the other. So I, I really didn't see much of him growing up. And then when I had kids, he retired and he... Uh, with his grandkids because he spent hours with them yeah. just did lots of stuff with them and it was great for both him and them and it was really nice for me to see but yeah i don't have i didn't have those memories with him at all yeah yeah, yeah it is interesting like and i think that there was you know I, I like i think that there's it was a there's a like a weird thing that just happened in this is my theory there's a weird thing that happened in an hour century particularly where like all of so i'm 42 all of our grandparents were either present during or individually affected by very much by multiple world wars and a great depression you know so um they're out my parents didn't experience that directly but they had parents that were just like out to lunch you know in so many different ways and uh and then so it's not like my dad was taught how to parent well, you know? <laughs> he was sort of like, I white knuckle and I go to work and I bring home food and money and that's good enough, right? Like, I mean, he yeah. was, you know? And, uh, and which is strange because I, 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 like my, I, I like he's grown into it, you know? But I think that it's just like, and, and he did the best he could and, and it's just amazing watching him. And my dad is probably watching this. So I'm not, <laughs> but but like, I just think, I think it's interesting how, you know, like, you know, connecting that for me, it was a really big thing to connect those dots emotionally that it's like, oh, wow. Okay. So an entire generation of people had undiagnosed, untreated, ignored PTSD. They all raised kids, you know, and yeah. now we were all mad at them for not knowing how to parent perfectly. And I'm like, that's super unfair. Right? Oh, man. So. Mine was less of global things impacting yeah. and more that I just realized one day that my parents had five of us, which sounds awful. Yeah. And because childcare is so expensive, my mom was a stay at home mom for a super long time. And my dad started his own company the year that I was born. Wow. And then I was in the hospital for nine months and my mom stayed at the hospital, so he was home with the other four. I would be a hard ass too. Right. And he had to work and make money for the whole family and support. And I think it was different expectations on people back then. Well, and not only that, like, they were so young. You know, mm -hmm. like, I got married at 24. My dad had, my parents both had their first kid at 24. It's just like, Oh yeah, you had no idea what you were doing and no one to help you, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I think that that's the other thing too. It's just like, for better or for worse, people are waiting longer to have kids. And I think that there's like, in theory, an element of financial stability to that, but also just a level of maturity where you're just not a child, you know? And I think that that definitely played into the, 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 the households we all grew up in. I mean, Dave's, Dave Reyes here is a, as a participant and he's the exception because his dad was like 175 when Dave <laughs> was born. So. My, my dad um, left school and started work at 14. Yeah. Uh, and you know, he was that generation and you know, he worked for 43, 44 years, but he retired at like 57 having worked for over 40 years. Wow. And, and so he's had an incredible retirement. Like he's still alive. He's just turned 90. 
Um, but he had such an amazing amount of time to spend with his grandkids because mm-hmm. he was he was retired and he could do loads of things with them. Yeah. Um, and and they lived right by the sea, by the beach. It was just a fantastic place to go and yeah. have holidays. And it, yeah, it was really worth the making of it. And my like, and and I say this is like my parents and my dad in particular has like spent the last three days renovating our house. <laughs> so it's been sort of fun for me to recreate those memories of like I definitely remember getting in the truck and going to the dump with my dad and now there's like three generations of people going to the dump which in my family is a big thing i don't know maybe that Uh, makes us (laughs) i don't know what that's still still a good day day out in my family (laughs) (laughs) i can't i I go to the dump less often than you do clearly (laughs) (laughs) no take it what's sad about the dump in edmonton is that like you're not allowed to get out of the truck until you're 11 which is just like you're so close to being out of age when you want to get in the get to the dump and throw garbage in a big hole, like you know, like when you're when you're eight, that's like seven eight, that's prime. Like I want to throw garbage in this big hole age, and the city of Edmonton is like actually that's kind of dangerous for you to be involved in, and I'm like yeah, but that's what you want to do when you're seven or eight is all of the dangerous things. So yeah, my, my um. Uh, we didn't have any of those health and safety regulations back in the UK. You could throw things in from two months. But it's one of the big big rites of passage for me as a parent was we took our eldest son to the local dump with his soother. I think he was four or five, and it's going to be this big dramatic moment where he tossed it into the, the oh, dumpster wow. and said goodbye to his soother. Yeah. We had about 18 at home just in case it went wrong that night, but, <laughs> but he didn't know that. It was just like throw them out there. And, and it worked? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, t- take notes, Ben. <laughs> I never had dump trips when I was a kid. I don't have those memories. I, I remember dumping stuff, but not at the dump. Right. It was just in construction sites and fields. Oh, no, 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 no. PEI dumps were just holes in the ground where garbage happened to be collected. <laughs> and then eventually covered over with dirt to be purchased by my uncle. <laughs> so uh yeah uh that's where we're at so yeah uh dad stuff is always fun now this story is gonna take a bit of a turn right now sorry mark did you <laughs> no, i just no. put the lights on because uh okay. we're getting so, right so at, at this point in our story abraham abraham has has left his two servants behind with the donkey they're hanging with the donkey he is now going with uh isaac and they're walking towards mount moriah where God has told them, where God has told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Um, at this point, the story goes that, that, that Abraham, uh, sorry, Isaac turns to Abraham, his father, and says, so, Dad, um, we've got wood for a fire for the sacrifice. Yeah. And it's like, you, you've got a torch in your hand. You've got fire for the sacrifice. And Abraham's like, yeah. Abraham's like, yeah. And uh, then Isaac says, so where's the actual sacrifice? And Abraham says, uh, the Lord himself will provide a sacrifice, which presumably solved the question right now. Um, I mean, but as a, fa- as a father of, of children myself, I can't imagine that the conversation ended there. Like, I can't imagine that that was the last word. But that's where the con- conversation sort of answered. And maybe that was 
Abraham's version of of because, because of the wedding, <laughs> you know that the, the Lord Himself will provide a whatever. <laughs> um, so they head off, and the the story goes that like uh, Abraham and Isaac set the wood down, and they build up the wood for the fire, and they build an altar, and then Abraham ties up Isaac, places him on the fire. Uh, sorry, on the, the the pile of wood where they were going to have the burnt sacrifice, gets out a knife and prepares to uh, to slay and sacrifice his son Isaac. Now, this is where the problem of a written tradition comes in. Because what the story tells us is that a messenger came from the Lord um, uh, who... We often interpret as angels. The word for angel and messenger is the same. I always like to imagine them as Canada Post employees or UPS employees being like, whoa. But um, the but the story, the written text says that the messenger came and said, do not lay a hand on your son. You know, I appreciate your faith. There is a ram over there. And what we don't have is tone. Because there's so many ways that that could have that message could have been delivered. Because that message could have been delivered with a tone of like whoa 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 whoa, like as if like no one ever thought that you would go through with this, Abraham. Like why? No, like or was it like angry? Was it like no? Don't lay a hand on the boy. Or is it like okay, we've gone far enough. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Like we don't have a tone in the story. So we're going to have to get come to that on our own. But what happens is there's an interference from this messenger from the Lord who intervenes and says, no, like don't kill your son. And he in fact uh, allows other, uh, he says, if you look up, there's a ram caught in a thicket and it looked like, and, and the, the story goes that there was a, there was a, a ram that had its horns caught in a bush and, and that was going to be the animal for the sacrifice. And then, and the, so Abraham sacrifices that ram with Isaac and then, and then walks down. And as they're walking down, God communicates with Abraham again and, and, and restates the deal that he had made with him previously. He said, because of your great faith, because you have not hesitated to withhold even your son from me, I will... Uh, I will make your descendants as numerous as the sand in the desert or the stars in the sky. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all nations will be blessed through you. And that's the end of the story. Um, But I would like to end the story with possibly my favorite add-on to any story, which I heard on CBC radio about a thousand years ago when Mordecai Richler was still alive. And and on CBC Radio, Mordecai Richler did a reading of this story. And it was just him reading out the story. Uh, and then at the end, he added one line, which is informed by comedy taste to this day. He said, but I don't think things were ever the same between Abe and Izzy after that. <laughs> so, well, now that we've heard the story uh ben yeah if a god that you doesn't believe exists yeah asks you to sacrifice your son are you gonna do it no (laughs) i'm gonna go find out why i'm hearing voices (laughs) here's okay here's my question yeah 
because there's a I accept the story for what it is and whether you believe that it's a real story or written for a message, whatever. My question is, why are there so many stories where God is demanding that people prove their faith in such a bad way? Why can't he just be like, hey, do you like me? Right. And not, not demand that they murder children or rams <laughs> to show, like, if, if somebody today were to kill a ram and then just leave the carcass there, people would be like, hey, that's a dick move, man. And if he said, I did it for God, they'd be like, that's an even bigger dick move. Didn't he make that ram? Well, to be fair to the ancient people, they always ate, the, someone always ate the sacrifices. There was very okay. few things that were just burned in completeness. Like there was, it was also a way of having a feast, right? Like you're gonna cook it anyway. So this is a, a way that we're going to cook it as an offering to the god or gods who, in theory, enjoy the smell. That was part of the part of the ancient world approach to these things. But yes, like this is interesting because this story happens. What's interesting between our world and their world when this story was supposed supposed to have happened, um, no one in the ancient world would have been like how ridiculous to sacrifice your children to a god, right? Like, that's not the surprising thing about this story to them. They would be like, right, child sacrifice. That's totally a thing. We do that. You know, like, so it's, it, it's inter I, I find it interesting how morality moves in the sense that, like, I don't think that there's a contemporary hero of the story that would, that isn't shocked by Abraham's behavior, right? Like, I think that that's a, a real part of what's going on. I don't know, what are you thinking, Mark? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you, um, you know, as an historian, you're, you're trained to think about context and audience um, and how would the ancient peoples have heard this um, and what are they hearing? And I think very much that idea that, um, this notion of sacrifice as being uh, central to that whole kind of religious tradition and religious experience. Mm -hmm. um, I think the thing that perhaps interests me a little bit is this idea of you know, the living sacrifice versus the willing sacrifice. Mm. Um, and that uh, Abraham is not called to sacrifice himself, he's called to sacrifice something which should be, or perhaps was, the greatest thing that had ever been promised to him. Mm -hmm. And so what is the kind of hierarchy of uh, sacrifices? What's the most meaningful sacrifice to someone in that situation? Well, and, and I think that that's a really interesting thing. What is the most, what, what is the greatest thing that you could give up? And I think it's pretty obvious, given the context of the story that we're given, Abraham's background being that, that you know, he's been promised children, and this is the miracle child, right? Mm -hmm. So... So now that you've been given the miracle child, now sacrifice the miracle child that that I think all of us in, in this in a way that transcends culture and history can can understand the the cost of what's been uh, the cost that Abraham is being asked to make. Um, I think it's interesting when we come when which brings into the idea of like living versus willing sacrifice because three religious traditions tell, tell this story. There's the, the Christian tradition, the, the, the Jewish tradition, and, and the Muslim tradition. And 
uh, all of them have different takes on it. What I find interesting about the Muslim interpretations telling of this story is that they, their version of the story has Abraham telling Isaac from, from jump that like, well, God has asked me to sacrifice you on Mount Moriah, so we're gonna go. And, and Isaac or Ishmael, depending on who you ask, just discuss it. There's, um, there's a disagreement with that even in the, even in the, the Muslim tradition, but, um, but that he willingly goes along, right? So mm -hmm. there's a, a double virtue in that almost, in both that he goes as a willing sacrifice, but also submits to the will of his father, right? Um, now, for most of us in, in contemporary North America, even that is kind of crazy. Like you wouldn't that like the idea of submitting to your father as he goes to sacrifice you to to a god is that's even so far beyond our moral understanding of the world that it's difficult for us to grab a hold of, right? Um, yeah. It, this story, I think, and I've grown up in a Christian tradition and I've studied this stuff my whole life. I think that this is, I would argue that this is in the top five of stories that, that are most difficult for us to deal with and therefore most often ignored or just shoved aside or very quickly rationalized, right? Because um, in the tr Christian tradition, what we tend to do with it is that we either... Uh, uh, or, or, or either try and make this that like, well, Abraham believed right away that God would be able to resurrect Isaac, therefore he didn't mind killing him, which to me is really psychopathic. Like as a Christian, and I'm like, okay, but like, yes, yeah, yes, he can resurrect, but it's not like resurrection was a common thing at the time. It's not like you've been like, oh yeah, Wednesday. That's when God resurrects people, right? So um, that's most often the way that I've heard it interpreted. And the other way that I've heard it uh, interpreted is, is, is like, we just skip that and go straight to Jesus, right? Like we just, we're just like, oh yeah, this is just like an allegory of, yeah. of God sacrificing Jesus. That's, that's all it's about. Pay no more attention to this story. <laughs> um, but given its prominence in the way that it keeps getting told and retold, I think it is important. What is, do we, what do we do with this story? You know, like, does Abraham have any justification in any of your minds? Like, like, can, can, can either of you give me, and maybe Ben most, because you most disagree, probably most disagree with them. Can you give me any justification where you, where Abraham could be, come to you and be like, well, I did this because, you know, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah. I, see, this is the, and I, I get what you're saying with the old culture wouldn't have considered that as insane, right. whereas today that's the most insane, disgusting thing a person could do. So I think it needs to be put under a lens of does the Catholic God evolve its morality to human beings morality or does human interpretation of the bible shift based on their own morality because otherwise god would still be telling people to sacrifice their kids <laughs> right like which side of that's what i take away from it i don't know that's that part's weird to me yeah 
well, and and I think if you're looking to if you're looking for a completely even progression in any historical tradition of, from like morality A to morality B, I don't think like and Mark can uh, you know correct me if I'm wrong. I think mm-hmm. you're almost never going to see a direct line, right? It, it's always jumping all over the place, and it's just like there are periods in human history where we really think that one thing is important, and then. 200 years later, we're all like, look at those idiots, right? And, and I think that that becomes even more expanded as you go back thousands upon thousands of years. Um, like, I think that the idea that would have been held, there's a lot, I just think it's interesting that there was a time in human history where you would have told a story where, where you could have told a story of a version of this where God said to sacrifice Isaac and Abraham just goes and does it. And they're like, end of story. And they would have been like, okay, you know, like that. Yep. That's the way that the world works. You know, I don't know, Mark, do you have any thoughts about like the kind of moral arc of cultures or traditions? Uh, Well, I mean, I certainly think you're right that the, uh, we see this, this zigzagging and, uh, and often, sometimes big U-turns occur uh, at uh, breaking points. And I think one of the things that it's, it's hard to do is to actually reconstruct the mentalities of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, because these stories were written for a particular people set in a particular time, but also surrounded by other cultures and belief systems, uh, which were ho- often hostile and competing with uh, the narratives that they were trying to uh, embed in the in the kind of mind and consciousness of the people, um, and and so I, I think this is also about trying to preserve something of the Abrahamic perhaps mindset, um, perhaps in terms of I don't know obedience to the patriarchs, um, and that this was a a kind of model of obedience to the patriarchs that the people listening were to, that's maybe what they would have heard rather than the, the horrors that we hear of the, the sacrifice of the child, right? Well, and they would have heard the promise of blessing in response to obedience, right? Yeah. That, that that would have been like, if you obey God, then God will bless you. That's the, or, and, and the story continues and, you know, like God does bless Abraham. Like if you follow the, the trajectory of the story now, but this incident is still, I, I, I think is, is still difficult for us to wrap our heads around as contemporary, especially for people who want to be contemporary followers of an ancient tradition. We mm-hmm. either have to, allow, it's not an either or, but we have to allow the tradition to be strange, right? That there's, I think in, in that there's just certain parts of it that are always going to be beyond our comprehension and difficult for us to grasp. Um, but, but also to try and incorporate this, but I think allow it to be strange while still incorporating it into who we are, you know, like there's a, you know, like, I don't want to get to Miroslav Wolf, but there is an exclusion and embrace where it's just like the, this, this story is part of who we are, but we got to wrestle with it because it doesn't quite fit everything we like i mean the easiest explanation that some people have given is that this was god's way of officially saying that he didn't like child sacrifice right but like in a culture competing culture like mark said where everyone around is doing child sacrifice god says 
do child sacrifice. And then it's like, no, actually don't. You know? And is that trite? Is that convenient? I, I, I don't have a great answer for that, you know? Um, but I do think the consistent trend of the rest of the stories of scripture is that child sacrifice is bad. I think that all of us who are watching this are in agreement that child sacrifice is bad, right? <laughs> yes, done. Oh, thank you. <laughs> ben, still haven't? Yet. Don't murder children is my go-to saying. <laughs> what a catchphrase. Like, <laughs> if you can make that, I don't know if that works as your get her done. Like... <laughs> That's my next album title. Yeah, Don't Murder Children. <laughs> don't Murder Children. It's catchy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, it's, it's, I think it's so, I, I, yeah, I think it's, like, I picked this story, obviously, to put Ben in, a, in an awkward position, um, <laughs> which isn't really that awkward. But, but also just because, like, I find this one of the hardest stories to wrestle with, right? So what would be the modern day version of this story? If it were written today with the same message behind it, what would be the modern day approach? You turn off the Wi-Fi for your kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's difficult to grasp because if we're going to do that, then we have to agree on a, on a moral of the story, you know? And what I love about this collection of stories that, that is so influential is that they never, almost never tell you the moral of the story, right? Um, which means that, it, like, and this is me being extremely Protestant, it's a living document. It is our job to continually wrestle with the text and ask ourselves the question, so what is the moral of the story? What is the story trying to communicate with us now? And by extension, that means that some periods of history, there's not going to be a corollary, a moral corollary for us. Like, I wonder... And, and I say this as, as a person who deeply loves the Christian tradition, if there aren't times in human history where it's just like, we don't know what to do with this. We're keeping it because it's a valuable document. And, and for almost 2000 of years, we've agreed that these are, are, are our stories. But for this period of history, we just don't know what to do with it. So, you know, I, I, I think I, I'd like to think, there's part of me that appreciates the humility of that view. But I am also torn by the fact that like i think we do do forms of child sacrifice today right like if you're a person who has invested so much in your suburban lifestyle that you need two incomes and you're never actually home to to parent your children um but you're just constantly working to support your children that could be construed as a form of child sacrifice right um in the same way like, you know, like if you're a, if you're a sports parent, right. And you never got to, you know, like this is the, the Todd Marinovich story or, you know, but you weren't good enough to, or never got the opportunity to compete, compete at a level that you thought you could attain to, but, but you're going to, your child is going to do those things. In some ways you're sacrificing your child on the altar of yourself. Now, those are all metaphorical sacrifices as opposed to a literal sacrifice which makes me put them in different categories um i don't know what do you guys think like that's what kind of what we're here to do is like what would the moral of this story be for contemporary time and i think one of the interesting 
think if you take story as story, um, uh, is to think about, uh, well, with whom do you identify in this story? Mm. And how does the story look from the perspective of A, Abraham, B, Isaac, C, the messenger, D, the servants. But then also, what about Sarah? I mean, um, where is she? What part, at an early point, did she play in this? Um, and so I think trying to identify, like you were saying there, Dan, about the uh, the sporting parent with the kid. I mean, I've coached soccer here for mm. eight years. I've seen those parents, and I've seen what it does to those kids. Uh, and yeah, it isn't a you know an actual physical sacrifice, but um, it causes incredible hurt and distress. Mm. Uh, and I see that from my look into those kids' eyes, and I think looking at it from Isaac's perspective, this is an incredibly troubling story. Um, which is, yeah, it's, it, at that level, it, when, you, when you begin to see it from his perspective or through his eyes, mm -hmm. uh, and you try and inhabit that story from his perspective, I think it looks very different. Mm. Um, so the Christian tradition automatically takes this to Jesus. The, the Muslim tradition takes this story and, and tells uh, Ishmael slash Isaac, what's up from jump? The Jewish tradition I find interesting because they kind of tell the story as if uh, Abraham and God are playing chicken with each other. <laughs> like they're both testing each other's faith and morality, <laughs> like, um, which is sort of an interesting dynamic to look at because they like, so if we're going to do what you asked us to do, Mark, identifying with Abraham and saying like, well, I'm going to test this God to see how moral he really is. And if this is his expectation, then I'm no longer going to follow him. Um, is it fair to take that from the, from the, from the, from the story? I, you know, I don't know. Um, I mean, the, uh, the version I'm most comfortable with is that this is God's way of telling people that child sacrifice is bad, but also memos work. Like <laughs> Like, I know he did that multiple generations and hundreds of years later, but, like, you could just be like, by the way, <laughs> you know, every time a child is about to, be, about to be sacrificed, there's some sort of divine intervention. Like, people would figure it out eventually, right? And it's like, <laughs> if every, because if we believe, the story has us believe in, in a completely sovereign God. And I think that makes it difficult for us to be like, well, how come every time all over the world, every time someone raised a knife to sacrifice their child, they were struck dead by lightning? That happens three or four times, and, and, and then people are like, I don't think we're supposed to do that. Maybe? <laughs> like, I don't know, Ben. What do you think? Uh, yeah, and that's the part that always catches me, is the larger picture where, you know, within the Bible, God talks to one dude, but this dude's over here just killing his kid for fun, and nobody's talking to that guy about it. Mm -hmm. um, to me, the game of chicken makes the most sense right. to see the pushback because a regular common sense human approach would be like, hey, if that guy wants me to kill my son, probably not the dude that I should follow. Right. So let's see how far he'll push that. That makes the most amount of sense to me. And it makes it the least amount of screwed up as a story. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. 
the, I'm with you on that one. I do <laughs> like I do like that version. Um, but again, what I love about the story is how open it is. Like all of the there's room there's room for all of these interpretations to exist. Um, and I think as these stories are so influential on us for as a society, it's really important for us to be like, okay, so what do we do with them? Which just leads us to where it's about ending time. Um, leads us to kind of the closing conversation that we have. And what we do with all of these stories is we ask ourselves the question, should we tame it? Should we toss it? Or should we turn it up? So define that how you will. But in my mind, taming means let's, we should accept some of the values of this story without completely embracing it. Should we toss it? Which means like this story should be confined to history and never told again. Or uh, should we turn it up? Should this story just, should we keep, should we like tell this story more and more and louder because it's something that we should be paying attention to more. Do you guys have any thoughts or feelings on that? I mean, my, my personal opinion is turn it up uh, for the same reason that we don't hide away the fact that Hitler existed. Right. Um, you know, forget history and it's bound to repeat itself. So if this is in fact history, ignoring it probably isn't gonna be the best thing moving forward mm -hmm. and taming it downplays the severity of it. Mm. So instead of shying away from it, play into <laughs> it and say, this is why this isn't okay to murder kids. <laughs> You know, um, and then the the extensions of the actual morality of it, and, and to to play into the fact that, you know, here's how different religions look at it. Here's how it's interpreted in different ways. Because most pastors, let's be honest, are not going to give the Catholic, Jewish, and Muslim version of that story. Right. They're going to abide by the story that they know from their book. Yeah. Having the three different versions is a better way to approach it in my mind and so that to me would be the turning it up hmm. what about you mark uh no i i completely agree with and i think um i think uh, troubling stories are ones particularly ones that we can uh debate and have dialogue with and open up for identification and conversations across the uh, different religious traditions and people from not no religious traditions, I think those are the healthiest ways to actually go about thinking about these things and talking about these things. I think the greatest danger is when we close debate and interpretation off and say, well, this is what that means and we're done and we move on. Um, and I think the this uh, particular story just invites us in to think about, and like you're saying, think about either actual examples or metaphorical examples where we need to talk about these issues. We need to talk about what do certain situations reveal about the divine and also people's relationship to the divine, people's relationships within their family. I think it just opens up a whole range of really fascinating questions. Yeah, and I think that one of the one of the worst things that, that, that I think is someone who's coming like obviously from a faith-based tradition is that we haven't allowed the story, we haven't been faithful enough. I think in some ways the way that we treat the stories is less faithful because we don't believe that God is big enough to get, like to just admit that this story doesn't make sense to us. So 
So in order to protect God, <laughs> we're going to give a morality to the story that we're all comfortable with. And, and I can't, and I guess one of the things that frustrates me and why I continually come back to this story is, is, is because um, this isn't one that I can moralize away. And if I'm going to ask myself the question, tame it, toss it, turn it up, there's a part of me that really wants to toss it. Because it would be easier to be a follower of Jesus and be like, I believe the Bible, if this story wasn't in there. Because I feel invited to identify with Abraham, both as a follower of God and as a father. And yet, I find myself in, like the Jewish tradition being like, if this is what I'm called to, then no. But in the Christian tradition, we also have the, the, the idea that like, well, God did this. Right, like that's the story. That's the what what as horrific as this story is. This is the story of Christianity. Only the story of Christianity, they follow through on it. Right, like uh, uh, the story of Christianity, God doesn't provide His own ram to substitute. You know, He follows through on it, and 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 I guess that's one of the most difficult things for me to grasp about my old my own Christianity is like is my tradition the most immoral of faiths <laughs> because at its core is some an act that i think is fundamentally immoral right because and i get the trolley argument and you're all smart enough to get that right but like it's still a really difficult thing to wrap your head around so um my instinct is to toss it to make my life easier um but that's rarely a good idea, right? <laughs> the things that make my life easier are rarely what's best for me as a human. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a fascinating one. Um, there are some people participating in the live show. Do you guys have any questions? Uh, if you either want to type them or, or Teddy, if you want to plug them in so we can, you know, uh, does anybody have any questions? Teddy, are you out there? I'm here, sorry. Okay. I was just being quiet. Okay, no, that's fine. Um, no, no questions? We're good? Okay. Oh, my mom is typing something. This could take a while. I'm going to have to edit <laughs> this out later. Um, <laughs> Dave, if you've got a question, you just your mic was just turned on. If you've got a question while you're waiting, my mom could be typing for a while. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't think I have a, a question. I, I think it, I think it is an interesting thing, and, and Ben kind of highlighted it, where um, the idea that you know why is this particular story God intervenes and not in all of the other ones? I, I think it's a good point to, and, and then also to uh, take that idea of the this story was for a particular space and context. Uh, whether or not this actually happened, this particular moment, I, I think this story where it serves as, a, as an understanding of like, yeah, this is not a, uh, we don't sacrifice children. This is not what God wants. <laughs> this is different than what has been Just to be clear, yeah. The official statement of, of holy shit, the show and podcast on child sacrifice is no. We no. Are, we are entirely against it. 
for the purposes of, <laughs> of but but, uh, but also like this idea that yeah like there, there is that this god is bigger than like some of these other traditions that maybe things are a little bit different in this in uh with abraham and you know it is a little bit of a rah-rah like yeah uh abraham our father he's a good guy you know <laughs> um if there's no other questions uh then uh it's gonna be uh I, i'm 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 gonna let everybody go um uh, i don't i don't know if this is allowed but, but i'm interested to, to hear i'm interested to hear who teddy identifies with hmm. teddy well well this is awkward <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I don't know that I really I I probably identify with Abraham just because I would I probably in reading any story more identify with the hero or the main character of the of the story there and and just that perspective and how difficult that would that would be to have this promise that was given to you like this child is supposed to be the the promise this is supposed to be the stars on the like you like god promised that your descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and then how is this going to be if you want me to sacrifice him and i think that abraham had like in the story in the bible ishmael being in some ways taking God's promise into his own hands by like having a child with a woman who wasn't his wife. And then, and then you have Isaac, who is this promised child that is a miracle child um, that was ridiculous. And then now you're called to, to give him up, but that just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why are you laughing, babe? I was laughing at my mom's iPad making noise. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can quiet her again. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the uh, only time ever. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just, I, I don't know how you would be able to do that, like, faithfully, like, to even take the trip up the mountain and to imagine trying to have a camping trip with your kid while you were hiking up a, a mountain to sacrifice him like that just seems like the most sad and morbid hiking trip and i've been on like out trips like days long of so carrying all your own stuff <laughs> yeah does that answer the question ben Ooh, I was muted there. Um, I, yeah, I, I was just curious. <laughs> I was just curious. Kind of not really in the story, right? Like you'd have to really imagine more. Like hers not really mentioned much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always think that that these stories need to be dramatized yeah. more. There needs to be needs to be a fifty-page uh, outlining of that, like you say, take that whole journey. What was going through his mind? What were they talking about? As they got closer and closer, how was he? I've got images of Lord of the Rings and 
Frodo and the Ring and heading towards Mount Doom and uh, it getting darker and more oppressive and just, yeah, that whole, the whole thing kind of just bearing down on him. Yeah. Um, well, and know, I and have it, a nine-year-old son named Isaac, right? <laughs> and like, he would not be finished talking when we said, like, the Lord will provide a sacrifice. Like, he would not, we, that would not be the end of that conversation. What kind of sacrifice? <laughs> when? <laughs> you know, like, it just wouldn't have, yeah. It's... Maybe it would stop him because it would be so mysterious. It'd be like the weird wedding thing that Mark has. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so, it's, you know, like, and again, I, I and that's why I think, you know, and that's why I'm committed to, like you said, Mark, I, I think you're right. We do, we need to see like 50 versions of this story. I want to mm -hmm. see... I want to see like a hundred different plays of this. I want to see a hundred different um, television shows of these stories. I want to. I want to see uh, the, our best creative minds and storytellers wrestle with this because that that's what I think gets us closer. Uh, you know, like and 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 I mean, if there's if there's an underlying crux to to the whole reason the show exists is because is that I don't think we do anyone a service, either people of faith or people without faith or people whatever, wherever you are in the spectrum in between, we do no one a favor by telling only the sanitized fairy tale versions of these stories. Um, this is, these stories are at the core, whether we like it or not, stories like this are at the core of who we are as humans. You know, we, we, if, if we haven't particularly heard them ourselves, our lawmakers have heard them, our, you know, like our grandfathers and, and grandmothers heard them. Like these are part of the inherited intellectual tradition that we've been given. And, and I think we can either enter into that blindly and, and just keep following along with their decisions, or we can engage in the wrestling process that they engaged with, right? And, and I think the only way that we do that is by doing the, the spade work of, of telling the story and being like, what, well, what does that mean? I don't know, you know, like, and, and, but, but like having conversations where people over whatever beverages they choose, you know, like depending on what part of the world you're in or what religious tradition you follow, like over whatever beverages or your part of your culture being like, well, what does this mean? And arguing about it and fighting about it. And I think that, that, um, you know, like if there's if there's a reason why this exists is so that conversations like this can happen. So um, I'm totally stealing the last word and I'm not letting any of you talk again because that's going to be my clip that is going to be bombarding you on Instagram for the next six weeks uh, as, uh, as, as the commercial for this show. Um, so I want to thank everybody for being here. Thank you very much, Mark. Uh, well, I, uh, did, you have, did you have a good time? Yep. Yeah, it's good to uh, talk about my soccer team. So. Okay. okay, well, we'd love to have you back. I'm one of the I'm one of the soccer parents sacrificing my children for athletic achievement. Um, you ben, have to how, curse when I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> ben, how did you have a good time? You're you're doing okay. Yeah, I enjoy stuff like this. Good, good. So go say hello to Harrison, who's a month old and cares not a whit about anything. <laughs> like oh the weird hairy guy's back again is he gonna give me to the lady again <laughs> sometimes i put him on my chest and he tries to suck on my nipple yeah and, and i have to pull hairs out of his mouth 
<laughs> babies are so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so thank you very much, Dave. Thanks to everybody else that was participating live and for everybody who uh, is hanging out uh, via podcast. Uh, we will see... What's that? Uh, next week is up in the air, but uh, are a little bit, so tentatively, definitely Noor Kidwise going to be on. We're going to have our second Noor and Noor Kidwise, an amazing comedian, and potentially, uh, if everything can work out, Dr. Hillary McBride. So, uh, yeah, so... and. If you don't know who Dr. Hillary McBride is, Google her because she's uh, pretty awesome. So uh, we will uh, talk to you guys soon. Uh, thanks so much for hanging out. Have a good night. Take a bye. 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 Bye.